The Provoke Podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Provoke Media Podcast. I'm Maya Pavinsk-Sims, and I'm the EMEA editor of Provoke. I'm here in London today and in more far-flung places with some amazing women to have a conversation to mark International Women's Day. Um, I'm going to hand over to you briefly to Sue Hardwick, who's co-founder of Global Women in PR, who's going to talk a bit more about what we're doing today. Thanks, Maya. Um, this is a truly international gathering, and it's, it's great to be doing this podcast with you, uh, focusing on Beat the Bias, which is the theme for International Women's Day 2022. Um, and I think, as all of us know, we are an industry very heavily populated by women. Some two-thirds in the PR and comms industry are women. However, when it comes to the boardroom, the balance between men and women is sadly a very different story. Um, As our Global Women in PR 2021 index showed that only 66, that in fact 66% of the seats at the table were occupied from men, occupied by men, up from 64% in 2020. So it's an interesting conversation to be having about bias, how we can change the landscape and and what we need to put in place to try and switch things around. And we've got three very experienced women who are, I'm sure, going to contribute towards moving the dial. Um, And that's Alice Whiteman, Valerie Burris, and Laura Whitcomb, who's joined us. So I will hand back to you, Maya. Global Women in PR uh, aims to champion, connect, and support the women in our industry. And clearly, bias is one of those areas that we are very keen to address. So I'm looking forward to hearing what everybody has to say on this very interesting topic. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Sue. So, yes, let me just give a little bit more of a detailed introduction to my three guests today. Um, First, we've got Alice, founder and CEO of Hanson Search and online talent marketplace, The Work Crowd. Alice set up Hanson Search in 2002 and has a a solid reputation as one of the leading search professionals for senior comms appointments in the global industry. Alice is well known for um, seeing gender diversity as a business imperative, and she's really proactive about encouraging economic and social diversity with the industry as well. So, uh, Alice, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Um, Next up, we've got Valerie, a freelance writer, speaker and facilitator based in Paris, Um, or I think she's in Spain at the moment. Valerie has two areas of expertise, diversity, inclusion and finance. And of course, biases play a huge role in both. Um, Valerie's previously been a banker and an HR and communications executive, so she's well placed for this discussion. Valerie, welcome. Thank you very much for having me. And finally, we have Laura Whitcomb, who's Global Campaign Manager for the 30% Club, which is a global initiative led by business leaders taking action to increase gender diversity at board and senior management levels to a minimum 30%, which is the point at which minority voices achieve critical mass and can be heard. Laura, hello and welcome. Hello, thank you very much for having me. I'm also um, a journalist by background, so I hope I can provide some insight into the industry that way too. Fantastic. Welcome to all three of you and Susan, of course. So let's kick things off. The theme, um, as Sue said, of this year's International Women's Day is break the bias. So 
What does that mean to you in the context of recruitment and retention of women into the PR and comms industry? And Alice, I'll come to you first with that one. Great, thank you. I mean, breaking the bias I see is absolutely fundamental. Um, for someone who's been now recruiting in this industry for over 20 years, there's been leaps and bounds that, have, that has happened about, you know, trying to get women to the top. Increasingly, well, in fact, every brief that we, we receive at senior end, clients are saying, you know, we want to hire more women. So when I hear stats that Sue was talking about, where you know two-thirds of the industry are women, but only roughly one-third are making it to the top, clearly there's something going wrong, and bias is a part of that. Mm-hmm. So tackling this issue um, in the recruitment side and retention is fundamental for us. You know, we we see ourselves playing a really important role in creating a fairer workplace, um, an equal workplace, but not just about equality. It's about equity. It's about being just, impartial and fair. And that's what bias is all about and making sure throughout every process that we can tackle these issues. So it's great to be discussing it. I'm really pleased it's um, it's been highlighted for uh, Women International Day and um, looking forward to this discussion. Thanks so much, Alice. Laura, what about you? What does breaking the bias mean to you? Well, what I would say is that, you know, across the 30% clubs um, uh, offering is that we are a global campaign trying to get women into the most senior positions in the world's biggest countries. You know, we started in the UK in 2010. Back then, there were only 12% women on the boards of the 100 biggest companies in the UK. Today, that figure's now almost 40%. You know, we're, we're on, uh, on our way to parity, which shows that progress is achievable and it can happen quite quickly. You know, it was only in 2019 that there were 30% women. So, you know, from 2019 to today, we've come up by 10%. That means parity is achievable now in the next few years. But while there's cause for optimism, you know, there's there's cause for huge frustration too. Um, If we look at those FTSE 100 companies, there are only eight female CEOs. Um, if we look at the 500 biggest companies in the US, there are only six female, six uh, percent female CEOs there. Similarly, in Australia, um, and I think it's important that we think. Well, if we look at the graduate level in in those very rich countries, women um, often account for just slightly above 50% of graduates. So at the entry level, we know that women and men go in at the same level. But when we look at the other end of the pipeline, there's this huge bottleneck. So bias clearly exists. And it's the work of the 30% club to work with CEOs and chairs of the world's biggest companies to, to try and break that bias and improve their corporate culture so that all talent can flourish. Mm. So that's what breaking the bias means to me and to the 30% club this year. Sounds like there's still plenty of work to do. Valerie, what does break the bias mean to you when it comes to women working in the comms industry? Um, I think, well, first of all, I want to say that I completely subscribe to what uh, Alice and Laura just said. I mean, there's a um, it's, it's really a matter for concern that in spite of 
uh, you know, huge uh, efforts that have been made uh, over the course of the last 10, 10 years or so, in spite of, um, you know, the, 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 the amount of constraints uh, that is placed on both governments and companies. Um, in spite of all this, it's it's very concerning that the uh, figures that we mentioned are, are, are you know still exist. It's 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 really a cause for concern that only eight uh, percent of let's say one hundred companies are, uh, have a C, have a female CEO. I think in France it's about three uh, to same proportion. Three out of forty uh, major companies have a female CEO and. Most of the time, they, they are not uh, uh, chairpersons and executive officers. They you know they, the, the function is split. So there is clearly um, inequality and imbalance, inequity, whatever you want to call it. Um, when I think about your question, Maya, I would like we've talked about the macro thing, but I think it's really important to bear in mind the micro aspect of the problem. Um, because if there are in this industry 66 percent uh i mean if this industry 66 percent female and yet only 33 percent um uh, of the executive of the board of the c-suit uh, uh, of c-suits are uh female then it means that even us women even women um contribute to this uh, stereotype, contribute to the bias. So for me, breaking the bias means first and foremost, start with ourselves, you know, um, start with understanding how biased we are, because we are all biased. There's no, there's no question about that. We are bombarded by stereotypes uh, since uh, our childhoods. Uh, we are the, the minute we start working, we understand that there are certain codes, that there are certain um, ways of working that effectively exclude women. So I think it's super important to first um, understand that we are biased, um, approach the issue, let's say, humbly, um, you know, reading about bias, but also very practically, you know, taking tests. So, um, you know, bias, it, unconscious bias is something obviously that we've, we've started um, mentioning, but also proximity bias. So, you know, for us, what I see is, you know, businesses are wanting to make change, leaders are wanting to make change, but that needs to sort of infiltrate down. Um, and there's certain sectors, I think, that probably are more open to women um, uh, than others. So, you know, if we look at across the communications industry, you're more likely to find more senior individuals in areas such as consumer than you are, say, in areas of corporate and public affairs. And that inevitably, you don't have as much role modeling, you haven't got as much sort of diversity of thinking there. And I think then there's um, unconscious bias can creep in. Um, so, you know, it's anything actually from even sort of thinking about, well, it, do, do do female leaders take on the lion's share of bringing up their children? Will they therefore, uh, is this going to impact um, them at work? Will they be looking for greater flexibility? Um, so it's trying to sort of really understand um, if you want to get the best out of individuals, if you want to attract senior leaders, 
who are female um, into your working environment and retaining them. It's about creating the right environments. It's about understanding the processes within a business and making sure that's filtered out across. It's not just about leadership. It's fundamental leadership. Get that right. But that then needs to filter, filter all the way down the businesses to those people that are, are conducting interviews. Many of us, when we do um, interviews, have never been trained. And then suddenly we're, we're asked to hire people into the team without any training at all. So there's areas that you know companies can look at um, to make sure that they're um, uh, getting rid of this throughout the process. And there's simple techniques to sort of... Um, you know, when people are hiring, uh, a client actually introduced this to me um, a number of years ago, um, and we use it across all our, our hiring and retain projects, um, deciding what exactly are you looking for when looking to hire? What are the key um, skill sets you're looking for? What are the key personality traits? Developing a, a score metrics based on that and scoring people against that. And what it ensures is when you are hiring, you're keeping to what exactly you need for in that role, rather than seeing someone thinking, oh, you know, we've got really similar background and naturally being drawn to them. And suddenly, without even knowing it, you're hiring them based on how similar they are to you, rather than actually, can they do the job? Are they going to actually add value, add additional skill sets and thinking and add to your culture rather than mimicking it? And I think that's really important. So there are simple things that businesses can do to ensure that that unconscious bias doesn't infiltrate into the interview process. But then also making sure that once you attract these people and have them in your business, that you're retaining them. And I think the retention piece is absolutely fundamental. We did a survey recently and um, uh, it came out that about 20% of individuals were thinking about freelancing at a senior level, of which the majority were actually female. Mm. I wonder if that's because businesses, therefore, aren't working hard enough at retaining top female talent and as a result are losing them. So it's the unconscious bias during the interview process, but then it's actually on the retention side. And what's proximity bias? How does that differ from unconscious bias? So it, it's the uh, hiring people sort of who are similar, who, um, uh, you know, who have a familiarity, who are close within your proximity. Um, uh, so the, the two are, are, are quite sort of closely um, aligned. And it's those biases that we need to be mindful of. Mm-hmm. Um, Laura, from your point of view at the 30% Club, what, what kinds of bias are you seeing and how does that kind of play out at board level? Um, well, I think proximity bias, like Alice just mentioned, is, you know, real and significant. And I think that, and it's present across every industry from my own journalism. Um, I worked in the industry for 15 years and most of the time I was working with people that look like me no I'm, I'm, I'm a white woman um i can count on one hand um the the number of colleagues who weren't white in that entire 15-year period um journalism is notorious for being something of an old boys club i'm not sure if it's still old boys i think it's old boys and girls who have a tendency to recruit from their own networks oh, you know, I need this piece written quickly. 
do you know somebody that can help? Oh, I need somebody in for a couple of days a week, or I've got this job about to open up, who can I go to? Um, and I, I think that is a cultural issue that pervades across many of the creative industries specifically. Um, and definitely um, identify with what Alice said about freelancing. It, it, in newsrooms, it's really obvious that there aren't very many women in their late 30s and early 40s in, in managerial positions because so many have to go freelance or feel they have to go freelance um you know it's not a very well-paid profession so i just wanted to say what my personal experience has been and that how that informs my decision making and thinking from the 30 percent club's perspective you know we see that play out across the board and we know that it's at the first management rung where the gulf opens up between men and women's attainment, whether that's in their career trajectory if you, or their pay or, or anything else, the opportunities that offer to women become significantly less the higher up the pipeline that you go. So as a campaign, we work with, like I said, CEOs and chairs exclusively they're the only people that can become members of the 30 percent club to try and identify the obstacles throughout the pipeline that lead to that huge bottleneck at the very top of it that leads to a lack of female leaders and we do that not because it's good for women or that we're somehow a women's club because we're not I think that's um, a common mistake that's made about the 30% Club. The 30% Club is a voluntary business-led initiative that says that diversity leads to better business outcomes. Mm. You know, it will make you more profitable if you have the best talent on your leadership teams. And that is a good thing for business, for society, for men, for women, for children. Um, and so I think that's, that's how, what we always come back to. Valerie, what's your take on um, what you've just heard there from, from Alice and Laura? What, what kinds of bias are women facing? Is this particularly acute at senior level from your experience? Um, I think it's acute at all levels, really. But, uh, of course, it's, uh, the more you go, I mean, it's, it's a systematic uh, process. Uh, in fact, the reason why there are so few women uh, at, uh, at very senior levels is that uh, there's been discri discrimination ahead of, you know, their accession to the uh, to the senior level. It's it's exactly it's textbook definition of um, systemic uh, discrimination. Um, no, I think I, I, again, <laughs> it looks like we all uh, we've discussed that before. But no, again, I completely agree with what uh, Laura and um, and uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I can't remember your. Uh, uh, well, with what my co-speakers uh, have said, um, it's really, I mean, the biases are really at the, at the heart of the matter. Um, what I want to say is, um, to me, uh, an unconscious bias is really something that comes, uh, that distorts your vision of, rea of reality, and that comes into the way that prevents you from making the right decisions, that it, it's really something that is going to to, to weigh on your judgment, if you will. Um, so we've talked about uh, proximity bias. We've talked implicitly about the, uh, the maternity bias, um, which is the, uh, the tendency to see a woman as a, 
either a woman, either a mother or um, wanting to be a mother, and that effectively prevents women from accessing to uh, uh, from accessing certain positions at a certain age. I think also there's another uh, bias which is huge and has a very very high impact, probably an even more significant impact as you as you progress up the corporate ladder, and that's the likability bias. And that, that bias actually affects both men and women. Um, the likability bias is simply the tendency that, again, we all have, unfortunately, but you know, we have to be humble about it. Um, it's the tendency to like people more if they fit the gender stereotype that we are used to. So if a man, for example, is very empathetic, uh, he's very shy, he's close to his emotions, he won't be liked as much as a man who's very assertive, a man who's very, uh, um, who likes to make decisions, uh, who appears to be very strong, very vocal. And the other way around, uh, women, uh, if they are shy and demure and uh, and if they if they fit the stereotype if they if they if they look the part if they play the part then they will be more liked than women who are vocal assertive aggressive who have leadership skills etc etc problem being that in order to enter the boardroom and to survive in the boardroom you effectively have to display those kind of qualities you have to be you have to appear very you know uh, very self-secure, you have to appear very, um, um, you know, assertive, you have to have those qualities. So really, it's a whole mindset that, mm. that needs to change, um, you know, in order to recognize that those qualities, assertiveness, uh, leadership, um, you know, these qualities are not female or male. They are just qualities. They, 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 they pertain to a certain style. Um, so I think that's, that's really something that is at the heart of the problem that we have. Um, and to me, yeah, the, 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 uh, whatever you want to call it, the cognitive bias, the uh, uh, unconscious bias, again, there's a variety of biases. But I think the heart of the matter is that, as uh, Laura and Alice have uh, underlined, it really, those, um, those uh, biases, they really come in the way of uh, performance. They come in, a w in the way of innovation. I mean, it's proven that uh, companies that have a more diverse um, uh, workforce, particularly when it comes to senior uh, levels, uh, while these companies, they, have, they will have a better pretension to innovate uh, and in the end of the day, they will have uh, they will have a better level of performance. I, I, I totally agree, Valerie, what you're saying there. And, and just picking up on um, uh, Laura and your comment, Valerie, I find um, it's really interesting looking at early stage businesses. And often, what they do is on the proximity side is they sort of think, you know, they haven't got a high budget to hire, so they think, who do I know who can do that job? And they, you know, and they get, they basically fill their business initially with people that they know who are very similar to them. And what you end up doing is then having this top team of people who are very, very similar. And then that starts cascading down. Then they realize they have a problem, but it's actually quite hard to fix because there's not a room to put another senior person up in there because already you've got this core team who are all sort of like each other. And I think, you know, to really get it right, 
at those early stages of planning your business or starting a business, really think about this from a diversity point of view. Like, you know, what are we going to do from day one, not, you know, day year five? Because by that stage, it's the culture's too embedded and you've got to break all that down. So I think getting that right up front is absolutely fundamental. Mm, that's fundamental, but also very difficult because, you know, uh, I completely subscribe to what you just said, Alice. It's, uh, I've, I've seen so many companies that, uh, you know, come to me and come to us because I work for an organization called Gloria that does training for startup companies and, uh, and all sorts of companies, really, uh, to, to, to raise awareness about uh, what's at stake with diversity and inclusion. And uh, I've, I've seen the case so many times that, you know, you, you, you go into this, this, this company and you only have typically engineers uh, all, you know, having graduated from the same school, uh, white male in their mid-30s, and when they hire a white male engineer from a different school, they believe they're doing diversity, you know. So it's really hard to, to sort of reverse that, that, that tendency, that, uh, um, that, that bias, really, that, uh, that, that we all have. And yet it's critical. So let's get, let's get practical, ladies. How do we get around all these structures, all these drivers, all these like quite deep level biases that we all clearly have, men and women, to ensure the communications industry and the creative industries are recruiting and retaining women at all levels, especially from diverse backgrounds? Have you seen any notably innovative approaches from companies? Alice, you, you outlined, you know, kind of getting it right at the recruitment stage and trying, trying to filter out the bias at that stage but what else can we do what are your practical tips yeah i mean you some companies have made some great progress in this um ketchum's a, a really good example of a, a business that's really kind of looked at at diversity and inclusion across the company um has to come from the top number one you know that that has to be um a clear strategy diversity inclusion has to be a strategy not just an initiative um many businesses start with an audit so actually auditing what are the processes what are the systems and then actually setting some targets in place and everyone sort of feels oh targets is that bit of a dirty word do we want that we don't want tokenism but actually, you know, we have targets on so many other areas of the business. Why not have it on diversity? At Hans and Such, we have it. We have a target um, in terms of recruiting from a gender, but also Black, Asian, ethnic minority. So we set that and we monitor it um, to make sure that we are doing our piece in helping bring about change. So I, I do think targets are important and then making sure that they are built into everyone's objectives. So it comes from the top, but then every single team has an objective around diversity and inclusion, whether that's to do with hiring of their team or the actual environment that they're creating. And, um, you know, when, when businesses are doing this audit and looking at it, it's actually about the sort of structure, the procedure, but also the experience side. All those three things must be aligned. So, um, from it, for example, you know, writing job briefs, are they written in a way which helps create diversity? Are they open to job shares, to part-time work? Could you... Could you make a job part-time or a shared job? Um, is the wording right? Are they aligned to values? So, you know, making sure things like that, um, which actually I think are quite easy wins, but actually could have really good impact um, on that 
uh, recruitment side and, and, and hiring side, um, but also making sure that you're going out to a diverse range of, of candidates possible. So thinking outside the norms, don't just advertise where you think you might find people, try and think a bit broader, um, align yourselves to some, uh, you know, organizations that also help promote that, such as uh, Black Comms Group, you know, if you're looking at increasing from a more Black and Asian ethnic minority background. So there's different groups out there that can help uh, facilitate that this, this group, you know, look, try and push your, your adverts out to make sure you're sharing them to as broad a um, group as possible uh, to attract women in and people from different diverse backgrounds in. Thanks, Alice. That's great. Laura, what are your thoughts on what practical things can be done? I mean, a lot of this sounds like where there's a will, there is a way. It's it, it's not that difficult if you focus on it, is it? Uh, no, and I think um, I would also add that where there's a paycheck, there's a way. <laughs> so I think it's really interesting to see that some really big companies are taking the initiative and in linking executive pay to diversity. So, you know, there's clear accountability and motivation to do better. Um, so I think, you know, I think we'll see more of that from companies going forward. There's, you know, a, there's a, a, um, a lot of discussion about it. And so I, I think that model will change. And, you know, to, to reiterate Alice's point that, you know, diversity and inclusion has to be a, a fundamental business strategy it's you know it's a lens through which you should look at every other aspect of your business it shouldn't be just delegated to one particular team or looked at at one particular time of year when you know some data reporting is required um so i think you know that's part of the issue and maybe a way forward i think you know at the the senior leadership levels when uh, appointments are being made and exec search firms are um involved you know companies can say to the search firms well we're going to insist on diverse candidates being put forward we don't want to see any all white male shortlists um, from now on, you know, I, I, we, we've heard of lots of examples of that be, becoming more and more the case. Um, and I think also that, you know, there is a, a clear place for mentoring. Um, and I think I think there's been a lot of talk about mentoring and whether that's just maybe fixing the women and, and, and not the problem as though there aren't enough qualified women out there. I don't, I don't believe that for a moment. I think that there are a lot, lot of women and companies that uh, get enormous benefit out of mentoring. It can change thought process processes. It can widen networks. Um, it can improve confidence. I, I, I'm, I'm a big advocate of mentoring. I've been um, a mentee and a mentor. Um, and have reaped enormous awards through it personally. The 30% Club runs the biggest um, cross-organisational mentoring programme in the world, and that's for women, but also people from any underrepresented characteristic. Um, but to go beyond mentoring, and there's an awful lot of scope to do that, what we need is women and 
the minorities to be sponsored and to be champions throughout organizations and that's different to mentoring you know that's actively creating opportunities it's pushing for opportunities um and so the two go well the three go hand in hand mentoring sponsorship and championing or championing i'm not sure if i've just coined a new word there um (laughs) But I think all of these things would, would really help um, get beyond those biases. Mm, lots of good tips. Thank you, Laura. Valerie, earlier on, you touched on over that we have to recognize that we are, we are all biased and we all have our own biases. And sometimes that's women not doing women a favor without necessarily consciously meaning it. Do you have some tips on how we can uncover our own biases so they can be overcome and really identifying those and, and trying to move past them? It's really important to recognize that uh, when an organization is promoting um, gender diversity, when it's uh, uh, senior management, top management is advocating uh, that the, the, you know, women in leadership uh, and these sort of things, they're not doing women a favor. They really are uh, doing the company a favor. So it's, it's, it's really important to recognize that. What's really also important is, to, to recognize is that when um, diversity is being promoted, uh, uh, I mean, by chance or by design, and I'll come back to that, uh, it's very rare that companies move back. Once the move has been has started, uh, it's so obvious that the amount of benefits that companies are going to derive from uh, from uh, from it is so huge that there is no way back. That's uh, that a company that has engaged uh, in diversity will not move back. And that's why, in terms of practical tips, I think uh, the idea of having quotas, for instance, of having a certain number of seats or positions reserved for women or preferred for women, even though it might seem a little uh, autocratic or uh, old-fashioned or whatever, however you want to call it, I think it has some benefits. If you look at um, the situation of a country like France, for instance, um, there uh, 10 years ago, in in 2011, a law was passed that um, made it compulsory for for listed companies to have at least 40% uh, of women on the board of directors. Um, And 10 years down the road, what happens is that you don't have 40% of women on the board. You have nearly 50%. France is actually number two in the world after um, Iceland. And why is that? Well, that's because companies have recognized that um, there's a huge benefit of having more diversity uh, in the boards. You make better decisions, you make better products, your strategy is better, et cetera, et cetera. You retain talents more, et cetera, et cetera. The list is almost endless. Um, So uh, having a, not necessarily quotas, but having a very affirmative, tone and way of expressing uh, the, uh, the, the, the fact that you want to, as a company, you, you want to, to promote diversity is of utmost importance. How that can be achieved on, on a more practical way is, for instance, on ins- by insisting that for any 
senior recruitment in the short list there be parity there be at least as many women as uh, as men that, that's that's an easy way that you can uh, even senior managers can uh, can uh, can go you know about uh, promoting diversity just insisting that any shortlist should be at parity should have as many um, women uh, as uh, as men that's 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 an example but there's you know uh, countless uh, examples um, I think also I, I'm a big believer in the um, in rationality I think if people uh, you know most people don't want to be sexist just as most people don't want to be racist they are just they just don't realize that they've been um, that they've been conditioned that they've been uh, bombarded with stereotypes and that their vision of the world is uh, embedded uh, in those stereotypes. So I'm a big believer in the uh, benefits of awareness raising campaigns. Mm. Um, I think, uh, you know, training people, uh, explaining to people, uh, you know, making people aware of uh, their biases. Um, talking about uh, things, crazy things like tests, you know, there are tests that anyone can take that are really freely available uh, online to to uh, uh, to become aware of your own biases, discussing biases, discussing the particular biases that are going to apply in your industry or in your company um, because of history and a, a number of things. I think this 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 works pretty well. Also, you know, uh, uh, raising awareness and talking about it. You know, making sure that it's not the issue that you don't talk about that it's there under the carpet somewhere and that 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 you don't want to address. Um, and lastly, I think a, 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 you know, a practical uh, a thing, um, I mean, a practical tip uh, that, uh, that, 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 that companies can use and that every manager actually can use um, is to, to promote role models. We've talked about the importance of, uh, of role modeling. I personally believe that it's, it's, it's extremely important to have... Um, you know, uh, women, but also uh, people of color, uh, people with disabilities, uh, you know, to recognize that they are um, uh, contributing uh, to the business and to, to make sure that, you know, these people are heard, that these people are seen, uh, that they, their, their performance is, 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 is recognized, that they are uh, praised, that they are uh, quoted, uh, you know that that they 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 they, they really appear uh, that, that they are trusted. Also, uh, that is of paramount importance. Um, great tips, Valerie. Yeah. Thank you so much. That's a that's a really that's a really long list. I've just got a massive long list of bullet points. Here. I could go on and on and on. There's so much more. <laughs> do you mind if I quickly jump in and add one really no, important please thing? Please do, Alice. I think we've forgotten is also the onus on women, because. You know, we if there are if there is a promotion, if there's if there's opportunities up for promotion, there's opportunities for jobs. Women, unfortunately, feel they've got to tick every single box before they apply, and um, and sometimes don't put themselves forward. And so, as much as businesses need to support women, women need to support themselves and say, "Do you know what? I'm going to go for that job. I ha I can't take all the boxes." 
but if I don't put my hand up, I'll never get it. And I think we as individuals need to put our hands up more and go for it because there is a sentiment now of wanting to encourage women to the top. And I think if actually more women put their hand up, they're more likely to get there and have the confidence and conviction and believe themselves because they're hugely talented. They're often hugely efficient at getting stuff done because they're so used to juggling lots of things with home and, and work life. And actually, those qualities are really appreciated within businesses. Everyone now is just saying, you know, they want people who are digital and hardworking, who they can trust and get, get the job done. And I think um, people, uh, women underestimate that. And so for as much as we talk about what businesses need to do from a structural point of view, I think it's important women also do it for themselves and for each other so they make sure that they have the role models and that they are role modeling to, to other people. Absolutely. Yeah. I think we should absolutely be putting ourselves forward more, being less humble and, you know, just having that confidence to put ourselves forward for, for things where maybe you don't take everything on the box, but you know damn well you can do it. Um, ladies, just quickly, one last question for you. What are your hopes and um, what are your hopes for how parity equality balance are going to play out for women uh, in the communications industry over the next couple of years what do you hope will really change and change quickest i mean from my perspective um and what i'm seeing is i think now that we're sort of coming out of the pandemic and um some of the biggest obviously I think positive things that came from it was the flexibility mm. before, you know, women had to sort of fight for flexible working. It was a bit of at the end of the recruitment process. Now, you know, could I work one day a week from home or, you know, can I drop the kids off in the morning? It's an unwritten rule now that that's a possibility. And if it's not go to another company and find it because there is flexibility out there. And I think this could be, you know, a new age for women where businesses are creating new business models and, um, and it's an opportunity for women to say what's going to work for them. There's also a huge um, lack of great talent. So actually the power shifted from the employer to the employee. And if you're good at your job, you're skilled, it's your opportunity to say, this is what best works for me. I'll make sure the job is done and I'll make sure it's good for the business. But actually, it's your opportunity to actually put your hand up and, and dictate more of the terms. So, again, if you're not in a business that works in that way, there are plenty of businesses out there offering fantastic opportunities to do that. And so companies are waking up and saying, we have to offer greater flexibility. Uh, the survey that we did, uh, flexibility ranked higher than reward and recognition. So, um it is number three in the list of, sorry, number two in the list of things, culture and people come first, then flexibility and then money. Um, so I think, it, you know, this could be a new age of turning where we hopefully can retain that talent that we're losing because clearly there, there is some form of loss there if two thirds of the industry are, are women and only one third are at the top. And hopefully now we can um, set a new, brighter future and change those stats. I, I really, I do sincerely hope you're right. I think this, this, I love the idea that the pandemic has kind of ushered in a kind of a new age of flexibility combined with the talent crunch, combined with everybody thinking more about what they really want out of their their work and their life and having maybe having the confidence to 
to go for it. Hopefully those are all combined into kind of a, uh, a, a good amount of progress being made over the next couple of years because it's been, it's been slow, let's face it. Laura, what are your hopes for how well see um, bias and balance for women play out over the next couple of years? Mm-hmm. So I think it's something that I alluded to a little bit earlier. When progress is made, it can be made quickly. You know, to go from that tipping point of 30% women on boards in 2019 uh, in the UK across the FTSE 100 to be, at, well, within touching distance of 40% now, just, just over two years later, and probably you know two or three years away from parity if not a little bit longer you know that that does give me hope that real change is possible and I do think that the pandemic has completely changed the world of work forever that's not to say I'm not a realist because you know flexible working as as much as it comes with many advantages there are significant disadvantages and we know they affect women. So lots of companies, lots of industries still, um, you know, put a value on, on presenteeism. And if women are working more remotely than men more often, then that means they're more likely to be overlooked, um, statistically speaking, doesn't it? And, and we know that it's women who exited the workplace more than men since the pandemic voluntarily or involuntarily you know I will I don't think I'll ever forget that statistic that came out of the U.S. Labour Office um, that said that all of the job losses I think in January 2021 were held by women Mm. you know that that's really frightening Um, and you know women are not only caring for children but they're most likely to be caring for any other member of the family that gets ill. there's a whole generation of women you know that um that they've been referred to as the sandwich generation where they're so simultaneously caring for their children and their parents and while uh, men continue to be the breadwinners then women are going to be in this position more and more so i i'm i'm optimistic that the changes in flexible working will really help this industry you know as a as, as a journalist somebody that's been in the in the you know the 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 sphere of work I know how much easier my life has been by working flexibly than being you know um, bound to a newsroom some jobs I've had I've been in at 7 30 a.m <laughs> left at six raced home to pick up a child then got back on my laptop and you know the new cycle is 24 hours the story is as likely to break on Christmas day as it as it is at 10 a.m on a Tuesday morning yeah um, so I think that there, there's definitely definitely reasons to be optimistic but we can't kid ourselves that flexible working you know is a silver bullet that's going to change things um and while I'm you know really pleased that there has been this tremendous um success in the UK of getting towards parity at the board level it's very sobering to come back to that statistic of eight female CEOs out of 100 in our biggest yes. companies it, and we, that plays out across the world we must keep these these 
stats in mind while we're while we're celebrating and uh, and making moves in the right direction. Valerie, I'll finish with you just briefly. What are your hopes for how things are going to evolve for women in the workplace in the short term? Um, uh, I have many hopes, and I'm very hopeful. Um, I, I I'm, I'm convinced that. Uh, I'm an optimist, and I'm convinced that uh, things are moving in the right direction. Um, my hope is that uh, uh, we 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 go past. I mean, we 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 all progress. We all uh, become aware of the uh, of the huge benefits of diversity. My hope is that uh, uh, more women are sitting not only on boards but also on uh, on all sorts of committees. Uh, my hope is that uh, even you know. Incompetent women are uh, promoted. Incompetent women uh, are, uh, you know, that there are uh, errors in, in in certain castings. That uh, that uh, that that people fail. That uh, you know, because that happens for men. You know, sometimes incompetent men are being uh, promoted. Sometimes incompetent men are being uh, hired. So I hope that happens uh, in the short run. Um, and in the longer run, my hope is that. Um, um, diversity, which is being brought about uh, by women, for women, etc., also benefits all the other underrepresented groups uh, because we need all the skills that we can use. We need the skills of uh, you know younger people. We need the skills of older people. We need the skills of people from all kind of ethnicities. Um, you know, we need all these skills. We, we need the skills of people with different abilities. Um, so my hope really in the end of the day, and that, that's more long-term than short-term. Thank you all so much. Thank you, Alice. Thank you, Laura. Thank you, Sue. Thank you, Valerie. That's a fascinating discussion for International Women's Day, all about breaking the bias. So many practical tips in there. So much optimism uh, and realism, of course, from all of you. So thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. You've been listening to the Provoke podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers.